meaningless. Meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are worrisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? The sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether they eat little or much. But as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. I have seen a grievous evil under the sun. Wealth hoarded to the harm of its owners, or wealth lost through some misfortune, so that when they have children, there is nothing left for them to inherit. Everyone comes naked from their mother's womb, and as everyone comes, so they depart. They take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands. Tom Thatcher, everybody. Tom Thatcher. Talking about money today. Anybody need a hundred thousand dollar bar? Anybody? Anybody? Can't eat. Can't eat in the service. Can't eat in the service. Can't eat in the service. Huh? Ain't the service. Anybody else? Huh? Way the heck back there. Woo! Whoa! I was always good at the the, the flip move in basketball. That was my thing. Anybody? Bingo! <laughs> Bingo! Excellent. I just like Louis C.K. Good? Good stuff? Okay. All right. We don't subscribe to what he says about this current generation, so don't send me any hate mail. That was him, not me, okay? We're just playing the take because we thought the idea was a good idea, all right? I was playing the take because I thought the idea was a good idea. I won't blame anybody else for that. I'll just blame myself. We're talking about money today, cash, career, and calendar. Here's the thing. Mark Twain, this great quote Mark Twain says. He says, that there's two really important days in your life. The day, oh my gosh, it's already fall over. Okay. It'll probably fall again. Forget it. Okay. <laughs> Two important days. The day you're born, the day you figure out why. All right? Day you're born, day you figure out why. Here's, here's the premise of Ecclesiastes. Okay, ready for it? We'll sum up the whole thing, right? This actually clouds, clutters, creates an obstacle for you figuring out why. This, we think it's going to help us, but it actually hinders it. It hinders it. We're going to talk about why. Right? But this hinders it. And so today's message is entitled Pass the Windex. Okay? We use Windex. Because what does Windex do, right? Windex 
right? We use this and we wipe away the debris. There's all kinds of stuff. This, cash, career, calendar. We're going to talk about all these things that operate like debris. And we're going to windex them away so we can really see. We can figure out why. We can figure out why together. Ecclesiastes is an amazing, amazing book that helps us. So Tom just read it a second ago. Meaningless, meaningless, right? Over 30 times in this book that's just 12 chapters long, we talk about meaningless. And so what we're going to begin today is a journey. We're not going to take the whole time. not going to take the whole nine months of this journey on the book of Ecclesiastes. But it's going to help us in the first six weeks to set up between now and Memorial Day so that when we get done at the end of nine months, we say, oh, man, I feel like I'm standing on something solid. This is what Ecclesiastes, we're going to clear, this is how it's going to help us to figure out meaning, purpose, passion, get some stuff out of the way so we can see what really matters the most. Now, let's talk about Monopoly. Right? Monopoly. Do you realize a billion people have played the game of Monopoly around the world? A billion people and like over a hundred... It's a very, very popular game. Do you know what the goal of Monopoly is? The goal of Monopoly, everybody, is very simple. To drive every other player around the board into bankruptcy until you reach total domination and you control all the economy. That's the goal of Monopoly, right? You are the winner if you control all the money. Because if you control all the money, at the end of it, you're going to have... You're gonna be the winner. You're going to have meaning, purpose, because this is going to make you really, really happy. That's what, that's the goal. And if you have a bunch of these, any Monopoly players, you recognize this? What's this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's this? How's it? You have a bunch of these, bunch of these, and a whole lot of this, and all kinds of stuff, except for the one that fell over. So, yeah, okay. Then, you don't need any of this. You don't need that. You don't need, that's for doggone sure. You don't need that. If you have a lot of that in your life, right, you're going to be really, sorry for dog lovers. I don't love a dog. I have a dog. I have a dog. Don't love the dog. I didn't think it was that funny, but. Temporary things create an illusion of control. I can't say it. Temporary. Te- these are all temporary. This is temporary. This is temporary. This is temporary. They're temporary. And we're asking this to do something that he can't do. We're asking this to give us control. Control right now, control my happiness, control my... If I have a bunch of this, man, I'm in control. It's an illusion because it's temporary. It's not permanent. So it doesn't leave. And so people who get a lot of this, they get there like, oh man, I got it. How come I don't have it? I got a lot of this and yet I don't have many purpose about... It creates an illusion of control. We have to go for the things that are permanent first. This is important. This is really important. We're getting ready to start a class. You can sign up today. Financial Peace University. Sign up today, sign up next week, and start it. It's awesome. Talks about all the practical wisdom that is in the Bible about dealing with money. It's very important. It's very important. But if we ask too much of this by making, thinking, be, thinking that this is something that's permanent when it's temporary, well, then it's going to leave us empty. But when we realize that we have to focus on what is permanent prior to, and make this temporary, all of a sudden this takes on great meaning, wonderful meaning, and it's a blessing, brings happiness in our life. But if we flip-flop it, leads to problem in life. That's what Ecclesiastes, it's like Windex, right? It's like Windexing all that stuff away, getting all the debris, so we can see what really matters. Let me show you something else that's temporary, all right? Look at that. What's that? Now, last I read, uh, they have more money than anybody, any other corporation in the world, like more than some countries, right? Are we all on the same page? I think it's $750 billion in their accounts, like maybe in cash, right? And, 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 and I have one in my, anybody have one of these iPhones, right? You know, you go by, I was in New York City and I went by the Apple store and it was one o'clock in the morning. I don't know, don't ask me why I was out so late in New York City. But. 
It was like a party was going on inside of there, man. That was incredible. I got news for you. A thousand years from now, they will not exist. Temporary, not permanent. I know you want one. I know the whole world. I know it's like, man, all the cool people have these. I got to get it. I got to get it. Not going to be there. It's not going to give you satisfaction. Not going to be there. Give me one, one other thing. Come on, Simone. What we got here? Oh, yes. Mm. Yeah. You wouldn't, you wouldn't dream of going a day without one of those, would you, right? It's awesome. I got news for you. Starbucks is not going to exist a thousand years from now. Not, it's, going to be, it's going to be over. It's going to be over. Now, listen, I know that Apple, some of you aren't into Apple, right? And some of you don't, don't drink coffee. You could care less about Starbucks. Well, I want to show you something next that all of us can agree on that we don't want to exist. Like, we want it to stop existing today. Let's look at the last one, Simone. We don't want that to exist, right? Let's start it today. Let's eliminate the Dallas Cowboys today. Can I get an amen? Thank you, brother. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I know there's no, there no Dallas Cowboys fans in the house. Now they're in the house. Sorry. We are asking too much of money. It can't deliver. We're asking it to deliver something it can't deliver. Look, I give you lots of quotes. I'll just give you a couple. Can I give you a couple? Andrew Carnegie, really rich person, really rich person. He said, millionaires never smile. You know what Henry Ford said? He said, I was the happiest in my life when I was just an auto mechanic. J.J. Astor, I could just keep going and going with these quotes. J.J. Astor, richest person to die on the Titanic, richest person, worth a couple billion dollars, says, I've been miserable all my life. Don't ask. Our problem is this. Money's great. Awesome. I hope you get a lot of it. Right? But the thing is, don't ask money. Don't ask it to deliver something to you that it can't deliver. And when you make it a permanent thing, and it's definitely a temporary thing, because you're not taking it with you. You're definitely not taking it with you. And it can't seem to supply meaning, purpose, happiness, joy right now. It's definitely a temporary thing in our lives. Okay, Ecclesiastes. Let me. I just want to give you a little background. We're going to spend six weeks in this book. What a brilliant book! I encourage you. Just take a moment. Take a one. Well, you know, every day. So I'm going to read a chapter. What it will take you? Sixty seconds. You guys are so smart. You'll just buzz through it like that. You'll absorb it so quickly. Take a chapter a day for the next six weeks. It is a brilliant book. It's written for people. You might say, hey, I'm not going to read that book because, you know, I'm not, I'm not a church person. I'm not a Bible person. Great. I got great news for you. This is one of the few books in the Bible that is not written to Bible thumpers, not written to church goers, not written to those kind of people. It's written to people, people. Like anybody who has a heart that beats, Ecclesiastes was written for them. Does that make sense? There's no history in there. There's no, oh, you got to know all this stuff about the, no, 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 no. Only thing you got to do is enjoy thinking. Like, if you don't like to really think deeply about something, it's going to frustrate you to no end. No end. But if you like to think deeply, the writer Ecclesiastes forces us to think. You know, see, most books in the Bible, they, they point us to the light. Like, hey, there's the light. Go that way. Go that way to the light, to the light. You know what Ecclesiastes does? Ecclesiastes points us to the darkness and makes the darkness so intolerable. Like, oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. Deep thinker, brilliant philosopher, writes this. It's an incredible, incredible book. And he's so upset because he's looking at the world, everybody. And he's saying, you know what? This doesn't last. And these don't last. And these don't last. And by the fact, he says at the end, he says, you know what? We're all a rotting, decaying house. Man, we're all, we're all dying. Like the moment we're born, we're dying. And I can't hang on. And he had tons. He had tons of money. And he had tons of possessions. He's like, I can't. I still can't control it. 
I thought it would bring me happy, but I can't control it. So it's all slipping through because only God can control it. It's an illusion of control. All these things are illusion control. And when you stand on those things, you will come up empty. It's a brilliant book for that because it clears away. It gives a shortcut, everybody, actually. Who likes shortcuts? You see traffic jam? You ever been around a shortcut? Like, oh, man, I just saved myself 20 minutes. Man, it's so great. It's great me growing up in this area because I know all the back roads right? This is a shortcut. He is going through lots of stuff for you. I've charted the course for you. I've already thought about it. I've analyzed it. I've thought deeply about it. I've experimented with it. And I know it doesn't work. So let me help you out. Let me help you make a shortcut. You heard what Tom said a minute ago. Generations come, generations go. What What does that mean? It means that even though we see all this data from really rich people and we read the surveys and stuff and money, right? Money can't deliver, it can't deliver meaning and happiness. We still say what? I'd like to give it a try. <laughs> right? I know it didn't work for you, but it'll probably work for me. I know it didn't work for anybody else, but doggone going to work for me, right? Okay. And it helps us to make a shortcut. We're going to talk about something else that helps us through in just a few moments. Can I go through a couple of these verses for you? Uh, chapter 1. So it all starts out meaningless, meaningless. Like 30 times, this is the favorite refrain. Another way you could say that is this. Look, temporary, temporary, everything's temporary. Everything is temporary. What do people gain from all their toils? You ever thought about that? What does it gain? What does it gain? I talked to somebody at the end of the first service and they said, you know what? You know, I've reached a place in my life. I've realized what really matters most. How often do you hear people get to the end of their life and like, ah, you know, I went after this, this, and this. I wish I didn't. I wish I didn't. What really matters? Generations come. Generations, sunrises, sunset, the wind blows, right? All streams, here's the school, all streams flow into the sea. Check this out. But the, but, but, but the sea is never full. All streams flow into the sea. But the sea is never full. It's never full. It's never satisfied. The eye never has enough seeing. The ear never has enough hearing. What does that mean? It means that this stuff leaves us dissatisfied. Now, we're going to talk about a lot about that next week. A lot about that next week. Matter of fact, next week he, gets, he talks about money and he talks about pleasure and he talks about sex. So let me, let me take a shot across the bow now. We're going to put warning signs up. But if you don't like to hear about money, pleasure, and sex... Not a good day to come because he gets all into he gets all into that. So I'm just th- throwing the shot right. Okay, fairly warned. Okay, chapter five. Whoever loves money never has enough. Why this is true? Right, the sleep of the laborer is sweet, whether they eat little or much. But as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. Is that true? Is that true? The sleep of the laborer is sweet. But as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. And then he ends off with naked in, naked out, which is just a great way to conclude all of those remarks. I want to show you a picture, everybody. Tell me if you know who this guy is. Say it. You can say it with conviction. It's okay. Go get Is he rich? How rich? Really rich. Like billionaire rich, right? Okay, let's look at the next picture. Tell me if you know who this guy is, please. Come on, man. He's, he's, he's only been dead less than 100 years. Less than 100 years. Come on, who is he? John D. Rockefeller. John D. Rockefeller makes Bill Gates look like a pauper. Makes look, Bill Gates look like a peasant. You know how much he's worth in today's money? $350 billion. Like they created the game Monopoly for 
him. He died in 1937, worth 350, with a B, billion dollars. This guy, everybody, was rich. And I'll share with you next week that he said of all the fortunes he ever made, it never brought him an ounce of happiness. Is that crazy or what? His dad was like a traveling snake oil salesman, con artist kind of guy, kind of blew into town and out of town. He left the family in chaos all the time, didn't know what was going to happen next. His dad made a lot of money, lost a lot of money because he, he played himself off as like this uh, Dr. Doc Levinson, right? Everybody called him Big Bill. He's a loud, gregarious, happy guy. Rockefeller was the exact opposite, very calm, very quiet, very calculating guy. Right? But his dad created a situation in his home of total chaos. Like, I don't know what's going to happen next. And where's our next meal? Because dad's gone. He's gone. And he had girlfriends like in, in every city around the... He had so many girlfriends. Eventually, he had a girlfriend in the town they lived in that he moved his girlfriend in with the family. Okay? Terrible. Right? And so Rockefeller is born in this kind of chaotic mess. And Big Bill used to like to play the game with all the kids. And you had the kids get on a chair and you, know, you jump up. You ever play the game before? They jump off, oh, catch you, right? And it's so exciting. One day, John D. is there, just a young boy, standing on the chair. Hey, jump, jump. And he jumps to his dad. And his dad steps back and lets him fall all on the ground. He says, don't trust anybody ever in your life, not even me. So John D. thought that money could control everything because it was so chaotic. And man, he was good. <laughs> I mean, he was $350 billion good. He was really really good. I want to talk to you next week a little bit about John D. because he was very aggressive, uh, with his, very aggressive with his giving. His wife's name was Seti Spellman. Anybody ever heard of Spellman College? Well, there you go. University of Chicago? That's John Rockefeller and a bunch of other places. Really gave towards education big time. One other fact about John Rockefeller. He couldn't sleep. Now, if I had $350 billion dollars, I know what you're thinking. Well, he's just, that's his problem. Because if I had the 350, I'd be sleeping like a baby every single night. Because how can you get more secure than 350? I mean, I don't, my heart's just skipping a beat just thinking about it right now. You know what I'm saying? I just, awesome, awesome. That might be him, but that would not be me. Here is generations come and generations go, and history repeats itself over and over, and the sun goes round and round and round and round and round, and you think you could sleep. But the reality is you can't because if you make this thing permanent instead of what it really is meant to be, and that's temporary because only God is permanent, right? If you make that permanent instead of temporary, then this loses all of its power and all of its meaning in life, and it ends up, right, harming you. Do you hear what Ecclesia? Tom read it. To our own harm, those who have a lot of wealth harming themselves. Mother Teresa calls it the vicious cycle of wealth. Let me in on that vicious cycle. I like it. I like that vicious cycle. But you have to put it in perspective. We're asking too much of money. And so what do we need to do? We need to prioritize the permanent, deprioritize the temporary, put them in place, and then money can have the meaning it's meant to have, clears away, windex it off, right? Clears the way. We see things clearly. We stand on what's permanent. And we move forward, right? We are looking for what is permanent. Another famous saying in the book of Ecclesiastes is under the sun. You'll read this. Under, what is he talking about under the sun? Well, under the sun. Like there's nothing above the sun. So if God's not there, then life has no meaning. Nothing means anything. If God is there, everything has meaning. If God's not there, nothing has any meaning whatsoever. And all this injustice in the world, he's so upset about injustice. He says, you know what? 
is anybody, no one's ever going to make all the unjust. Nobody's ever going to judge. No one's going to make things right. But if God is there, he's going to make everything right. If, if God is there. Let me show you a cover of Time Magazine a number of years ago. Has anybody seen that cover before? It was voted top 10 covers of all time that shook the world. Top 10. And so the article inside, Is God Dead? The article inside is they talk about theologians, they talk about pastors like myself who began to actually write God out of theology. Like, God anymore. And the rhetoric that was happening when that was published and for about 100 years before it was published is that desiring to connect with God, desiring to connect in a significant way spiritually was primitive. It's outdated. Science is showing us, right, we're now more educated. We don't need this. It's a primitive idea. It's a primitive belief. People don't really care about that. Religion is crumbling. It doesn't, it's not going to be here anymore. So Rodney Stark, who's a UC Berkeley trained PhD guy, sociologist, wrote a book about a year ago called The Triumph of Faith. It's based on a Gallup World survey, very intense, extensive world survey by the Gallup organization. And here is some of their findings. Let me give you a quote first. This is what they found. They said, there is a massive, quote, a massive religious awakening is taking place around the world. Another quote, the world is much more intensely religious than ever before. You know what Ecclesiastes says? Ecclesiastes says it this way. It says, God said eternity in our hearts. What does that mean? It means we have a desire for permanence in our hearts. We have a desire to meaningfully connect with God. Here's what happens to me a lot of times. If people say, you know what, can I meet with you? Because I don't believe, I don't, I don't actually believe in God. I'm an atheist. I have a big problem with the Bible. I have a big problem with God, this whole thing. I like to meet with you. And so I always prepare, I used to always prepare myself for just an intellectual conversation on God, all this kind of stuff. And here's what I found. I can't really find a true atheist because they come in first of all and they're very angry at a God that doesn't exist okay and so what I really found is here's, here's the thing what I really really found was is this um, basically everybody believes in God and, and, and many people now you might say you're an atheist and you're, you're here today okay that's Fine, maybe you are the true atheist. Let's, I would love to talk to you, really, because I think it's a fascinating discussion. And I don't, I don't want to misinterpret anything I'm saying. I, don't, I, I, enjoy, I think it's wonderful. You know, I don't, we don't believe in putting down people for their beliefs. You're an atheist that here today. We love the fact that you're here. We hope you'll be back every week. We would love to talk and learn together. We're all on a journey together. Let me just say that. Here's almost 100% of the time what somebody says to me when they say they're an atheist. What really is going on is they've been hurt by somebody who is a believer in God and they don't like what that person has done or said or even actually done to them. And it's hurt deeply, hurt deeply. I remember one day I was listening to Richard Dawkins, very famous atheist today, uh, and he was talking and it just struck me as he talked. He said something in his conversation. I thought, oh my gosh. I think actually what's happened and why he's so vehemently against the idea of God is there's, he's experienced some pain from people who do believe in God in, in his life. So I've actually had people along the way say, you know what, I used to say I was an atheist, but really, I, I really do believe in God. I'm just really angry with either God or with other people for a long time. Here's the way Ecclesiastes says it. He said, 
God has set eternity in our hearts. We can't get away from that. We have a desire to stand on what is permanent. And all this stuff in life, cash, we're going to get into career, we're going to get into calendar, it just clouds it all. It clouds it. Can I go back to the Stark book for a minute? Because it's, it's amazing. He talks about all religions, okay, just so you know. This isn't just Christianity thing. He just talks about, and he says, he's, Almost every major religion is growing and growing strongly globally today, except for maybe Buddhism. Buddhism probably is not growing, according to Gallup survey. Probably not, but all the others are growing. Sub-Saharan Africa, more people are church-going Christians in Sub-Saharan Africa than any other place on the planet. However, he says, from the survey, it looks like China will become home to the most Christians on the globe. Uh, I'd like to talk about Iceland for just a second. Here's the reason I want to talk about Iceland, because he gets into a lot of countries, what's going on. Iceland is considered one of the most secular nations on the face of the earth, very secular. However, they only have 3% atheists, even though they're one of the most secular nations. Right? They're, right, they don't believe in all this stuff, and spiritual, they don't want to connect. Right? They don't, it's all primitive. Right? It's all crumbling. They don't believe in that. That's the idea. That's, that's the idea there. Okay. Here's some things about Iceland we need to know. 34% of Iceland believes in reincarnation. Another 16%, so that's a total of 50%, is either totally believes in reincarnation or thinks probably it is true. That's 50% of the population believes it, right? 50% of the population goes to fortune tellers and spiritualists, and amongst the intellectual, the elite, intellectual elite, they, they accept that. They think it's good, all right? They are breaking ground on a temple to an old Norse god right now. And 55% of people from Iceland believe in Hudafolk. Now you might say, what is a Hudafolk? I don't know, it sounds like a rap song something, Hudafolk. Okay, so it's like a little, it's like a troll, like a fairy tale, it's hidden, it's, Hudafolk means hidden people, like these little fairies, whatever, right? And I say, oh yeah, I bet a couple, you know, people who live outside the city, they believe in the Hudafolk, but not the main people. Well, let me tell you how much they believe in it. 55% of them believe in it. And they believe in it so strongly. Like when they, they have done this, this has happened. They have planned a major highway. You know how much it costs to build a highway, everybody? It costs a lot of money, okay? A lot of money. Plan a highway and they realize, oh, wait a minute. Somebody comes and says, there's some folk living right where you got this. They will reroute the highway. They don't believe in, they don't believe in anything spiritual. Reroute the highway, spend all kinds of money so we don't mess up the Hudafolk. That is one of the most secular nations on the face of the earth. The deal is this. This world is more intensely spiritual, seeking to make a spiritual connection with God than ever before, according to Gallup. What should we do with that information? We can't get away from it. We want what is permanent. And the only prescription for that is to not focus on things that are temporary, but to stand on things that are permanent. Now, let's play a song, and let me show you some pictures. You tell me if you know what this is from. First Service did a terrible job with this. Talk to me. What song? Hey, thank you very much. You know this famous Saturday night clip, right? More what? You want more what? Ah, thank you. Man, you're doing much better than the first service. They really let me down. All right, let's see, let's see the next slide, Simone. Okay, who's that guy? Right, he's got a fever, right? He's got a fever, and the only prescription is what? Poor cowboy. Let me tell you something that's really cool. I met a guy visiting here today underneath the tent outside eating a food truck. He is friends with the lead singer for Blue Oyster Cult, and he's, he's eating dinner tonight with the guy's son. He said, I'm going to tell him about what's going on. I thought, wow, that is some kind of cool. Here's the, okay, you can stop playing it now. All right, here's the thing. We have a fever. According to Ecclesiastes and according to Gallup, 
We have a desire for a meaningful encounter with God. If we think that somehow we're going to mix that temporary in with the permanent, it's only going to frustrate us. So what? We have one goal. How can we stay focused when it's so easy to focus on the temporary? How can we stay focused on the permanent so we can clear the way and stand on what's permanent and find meaning, purpose, and passion, actual find, find true happiness so that this doesn't make us unhappy like a noose around our neck but actually brings joy into our life. That's how I'm going to conclude this message if we can right now. All right, prioritize the permanent. You have a thing on the back of your bulletin. You can write that in. It's really important. That is what the book is all about. Ecclesiastes is the book. It's all about chapter 12. He said, I'm going to sum everything up for you. You've got to prioritize what is permanent. You've got to prioritize God. Now, Einstein has this wonderful quote. I love this quote. Says, Unless you can say it simply, you don't understand it. Unless you can say something simply, you don't understand it. So let's be extremely simple and effective and clear. Nothing, no, no high fluting thing right now. Just going to get really simple and very specific on how we can move forward and prioritize the permanent in our own lives. Last week, we gave out a notebook. Now, you can't get more simple than this. We paid 17 cents for these notebooks. If you didn't get one last week, you pick up one on the way out. 17 cents. Oh, John, you tell me a 17 cent notebook can change my life? Yes. According to the smartest guy that we know, Albert Einstein, simple is effective. It's powerful. I want you to get the notebook and write the plan down. I want you to start with things that are permanent. Christ, permanent. He's going to reign forever and ever. Money's not, right? Community and compassion. You can listen to last week's message, talk a whole lot about that. Start with that. Now, what did I tell you last week? According to Harvard and Yale, people who write down their flight plan are 10 times more effective. Not one time, two times, three times, 10 times more effective, and yet only 3% of Americans do it. If you want to jump into the top 3% of America, right now you can start today. For the next nine months, I want to challenge you to keep a flight book and to make a priority out of the permanent stuff is in there. Again, you can listen to last week's message online, and, and I'll talk more about that. This is what we really, really, really want you to do. Aristotle says this. Aristotle says this. We are what we repeatedly do. Nine months. Repeat this over and over again. You're going to look back. Once you get to memorial, you're going to look back and think, oh my gosh, God actually answered a lot of my prayers. Now, here's, the, here's one, what I want you to make a part of your prayer. I want you to make God's priority part of your priorities in prayer. It's okay to pray, I want more money. That's totally okay. I'm just asking you to put it lower on the list. It's okay to pray for the new job and the new car and the degree and all that stuff. As long as we understand it, those are temporary things. Pray for them all you want. I do. I do. Just make sure they're down here. Make sure the permanent stuff's up here. You're going to be so much happier. You're going to find God answering you. And that, like I said last week, put the answers up front. They will motivate you. So here's what I'd like you to write down today. Okay? Last week you said we need a notebook. That's number one. Here's number two. You need the right people in your life. You absolutely need the right people in your life. We cannot stay on track with the permanent by ourselves. You think, oh, man, I don't, I'll do it. Man, I'm a really disciplined person. I'm going to stay on track. I can do it all myself. No, you're going to need other people around you in your life who are also pursuing permanence for you to stay on track. History repeats itself over and over again. We all need people. You know that Jesus Christ, right? Talking about writing. I want you to write it right here. God, send me the right people in my life who are also pursuing permanence. Send me those people. You know that Jesus Christ spent all night praying before he chose 12 guys to surround his life. He needed the right people, so he prayed. That's how important it was. And it'd be great. Just pray for that over. God, send me the right people people. 
people influence our lives. They're like gifts from God that serve as guardrails to keep us on track because we're going to keep getting on, off track with the permanent. How are we going to stay on track? People are going to keep us on track if it's the right people. Think about how people influence your lives. If you hate smoking, if you hate smoking, you can't stand it, you see somebody who smokes, you run the other way. Man, if you ever had to kiss somebody who smoked, you felt like you're kissing an ashtray. I mean, you hate smoking. If your friends... The people closest to you are smokers. You have more than a 60% chance, even though you hate it, that you're going to do it. You know why? Because people influence our lives. Let's say this, everybody. Check this out. Talk about money. We can give you, we can give you a, a $10,000 raise, or we can surround you with happy people. Your happiness level is going to go up much more when you have happy, happy people around you than a $10,000 raise. Now, let's convert that to DC money. DC money is about a $50,000 raise. So just think about the power. <laughs> Think about the power of that. After you make $75,000 a year, money can't make you any more happier than you are right now. After you make $75,000 a year, okay? Paraguay is the number one country in the world that leads happiness levels. Paraguay. They're at 105 on the GDP. Think about that. It's a temporary thing. It's not a permanent thing. Don't ask too much of money. Now, Jesus told a story. I'm going to end this way, okay? So I'm done. I know you're excited about eating. So I am going to finish. I'm going to finish with a story that Jesus told, and I'm going to adapt it to D.C., if you'll allow me to do that. I want to talk about the rich, young D.C. lawyer, okay? So the rich, young D.C. lawyer was, like, really talented. You know, so he's really, really talented. Before he turned 30, uh, he was so talented, he no longer had to look for clients. They were lined up out the door, banging on the door, saying, I'd like to talk to you, right? I'd like to talk to you. He was so good, he had to hire staff. He had to hire a bigger staff and a bigger staff and a bigger... Then he had, to get, he had to get more offices. He had to expand his offices until the point he had to actually buy an entire office building because he had so many people working for him because he was so good. He was good. He did a lot of traveling. Next thing you know, he opened offices around the world. The rich, young D.C. lawyer was great. All that travel, though, took him away from his family, right? Like he didn't get to spend time with his kids at school or the sporting activities. He even missed an anniversary or two. Can you believe it? I can't believe it. I can't believe any lawyer would do that. But it happened to the young D.C. lawyer because he was so good. He was so good. He had hundreds of people around the country who would just jump at his command. You know what I'm saying? He made a ton of money. He had a ton of power and a ton of control over people's lives. It was awesome. He was winning the Monopoly game. It's absolutely fabulous. He came home one night, as he did every night. He worked early to late over and over and over again. And the uh, wife said, hey, let's, you know, let's go to bed. And he said, as you usually always did, okay, after just a few minutes, a couple minutes, a couple emails, send me, you know, I'm big demand, I'm a really important person, I can send me through the emails. About one o'clock in the morning, she, right, you know what this is, where is he? And then, okay, where is he? He's not, he's not there. <sighs> Walks downstairs, and there he is, slumped over his computer. She says, this is ridiculous. Every night the same thing comes over and shakes him. But he's cold. It's cold. See, the rich young D.C. lawyer was at the top of the org chart, everybody. He told everybody what to do. He had power. He had control. There's one thing, everybody. He didn't have control over a little muscle inside of his body that weighed less than a pound. How much control do we really have? And right before he died, he had perfect clarity of vision. What matters most? What matters most? Let me give you a quote. The executive who works from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. every day will be both very successful and fondly remembered by his wife's next husband. 
<laughs> I want you to stand. I want you to stand on what's permanent, not on what's temporary. I want you to clear all the stuff out of the way. Uh, and I want to get this next week, everybody. Um, I, listened, I listened to a study by Harvard over the summer. It blew my mind. I was mowing the lawn. Okay? And I had to stop so many times and replay and replay. Like the lawn right there, the grass is never growing again. It is incredible. <laughs> I, I can't believe this. It's how every single, every single one of us can increase our income. It's gonna, it blew my mind. I bet it's going to blow yours. You're not going to want to miss that next week. Let me end with this quote. <laughs> Albert Einstein, nothing happens until something moves. Right? Smartest guy we know. Nothing happens until something moves. Now, I know a bunch of you are like, hey, thanks for taking 30 minutes of my time, John. There ain't no way I'm doing that. Look, when you take a look at surveys about people and their desire to find purpose and passion and reason and happiness, and all, right? right? Tops the list. I am asking you to do something very simple, very repeatable, and very powerful, and proven to be effective. And put at the top of the list, God, prioritize the permanent. Lord, send the right people around me. Send the right people around me. We, 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 a bunch of you are here today because you've been invited by somebody, right? I, you, you need to know this. Full disclosure, our goal this year between now and Memorial Day is every single person at Grace would successfully invite one person to church. You might say, yeah, I know you're doing that because you pastor church and you just want a lot of people to speak to. Okay, all right, fair. <laughs> but I want to tell you we have a strategy behind it actually that has nothing to do with that. Here's the deal, right? People influence your life. If you're the only person in your circle of people influencing you that's actually pursuing the permanent, right, then you're not going to survive. You need other people around you who are also pursuing. Per you need those people, and you invite them here, and we talk about this over and over again, then you're surrounded. Look, I'll say it this way. You have got to get people in your life who are smoking the permanence pipe with you. <laughs> you have got to get people in your life who are smoking the permanence pipe with you. Simple, proven fact. No religious sermonizing there, just a fact, Jack. So we want you to move. We want you to do something about it. I'm going to pray, and then on the way out, we're going to play a fun song for you, and I hope you really enjoy the food trucks. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, God, for Ecclesiastes, like Windex, clearing stuff away, giving us a shortcut, taking away stuff that could lead us to misery, and instead you're leading us, God, to what's best for us. It's really hard to do. It's really hard for me to do. I know it's hard for all of us in this room to be able to do because we're human beings. And the deal is, is we just keep focusing on what's temporary. But God, help us, each one of us. And Lord, bring people in our lives. Bring the right people in our lives that, Lord, together we could pursue what is permanent. And help us to move forward today with that effort. In Christ's name, everybody said amen. amen. God bless you. Enjoy the food trucks. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.